in the beautiful West 7th neighborhood of St. Paul, Minnesota, you're listening to the Capital City Podcast. Tonight we are honored to be having Frank Lanier uh, guest preach for us. I met Frank maybe six to eight months ago. He came on staff at our sending church after we planted out. So I never had the pleasure of working, you know, an office down from him. But the few ch- chances we've gotten to talk have just been uh, just delightful. So uh, I wanted to invite him in to preach. And I heard just a bit on the phone a couple of times this week about what he's got to say. And I'm really excited. So let me welcome up Frank. Um, yeah, come on, everyone, round of applause. I forgot to say... I think this is, this is his first Minnesota winter, so not the worst winter to experience, you know, in, in your first time here. But he's from, this, from North, North Carolina, right? Uh, North Carolina. North Carolina. Um, yeah, and so just glad to have him preach here. Well, I am uh, always privileged to be able to share God's word. So um, it's my honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Like I said, it, it's, I don't deem myself worthy to be up here. As a matter of fact, my message is going to be related to that. Um, uh, I, I don't have any special skills or anything, but I love God and I love his people and I love all people. And so um, somehow God has worked that out for me to be up here talking to his people. So I thank him for having a use for me and I thank him that uh, understanding that he has a use for everyone. So we're going to bow our heads now, give thanks to him for creating everyone in his image, for loving us all and for giving us a purpose. Dear Father, thank you for this night. Uh, Thank you for being able to uh, worship you and praise you freely, Lord. Um, A day may come where it may not be so easy to assemble. Um, So, Lord, we pray that now as we are uh, free to uh, give praise to you, may we do it heartily, joyfully, knowing, Lord, that we have a happy ending. I thank you for the people that have assembled here. May they be blessed by the message that I believe you have for them to hear, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I am originally from North Carolina. We have been here a few winters. Uh, The one before this one, my wife was like, I'm done. Let's move back down south. (laughs) But we made it through, and this winter actually has been so much better. Um, The sun has been out. We've been enjoying a lot of the good days. Uh, So we are very grateful. Um, As Jordan said, my name is Frank Lanier. I'm the new adults ministries pastor at First Free Church. Kenny's out here. He's my partner in crime, one of the guys uh, serving with me at First Free. And um, not much about me. I have six kids in all. One's in college. The rest are at home. I have not yet found a snack that they do not like. Every time I get something to eat, they eat it all. So I have to get used to that. I don't get the big piece of chicken anymore. I'm kind of mad about that. (laughs) Uh, But I am grateful. I'm a blessed man. I am totally blessed. For my wife, she's amazing. Uh, My children, um, what I do, I love what I do. Thank the Lord. And for life and life eternal, what a blessing. And so tonight, we're going to be talking about Greatness. Y'all have heard greatness being talked about in a lot of different ways. You heard the term GOAT, greatest of all time. Um, A lot of times when we think of greatness, we tend to have measurements or tangible metrics to it, like numbers and records. So you think about like in the NBA, a lot of arguments say uh, Michael Jordan is the greatest because of the number of points he scored and averaged and the number of chassis, some heads nodding out there, number of championships that he's uh, won. 
In music, sometimes there's an argument for either Elvis or Michael Jackson because of the number of hits they've had, uh, number of records they've sold. Uh, I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan. You don't notice it now, but I used to have the curl. And uh, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, um, NFL Tom Brady, as much as I'm not a Patriots fan, I have to admit he's pretty good at the sport of football. And believe it or not, nowadays you hear about YouTubers and how uh, popular that's become. And believe it or not, I want you guys to hear this. The highest grossing YouTuber, the greatest YouTuber right now is an eight-year-old named, named uh, what's his name, Eric Kaji, Orion Kaji. And guess how much money he made this last year? $26 million. And guess what he does? He just lives life. And his mom tapes it. That's it. But that is greatness now. <laughs> I don't get it. But $26 million. I'm thinking about putting on five of my, because I know we're more exciting than Ryan Kaji in our house. <laughs> um, but even in church history, you know, we consider greatness as well-known church leaders, right? We start somehow with the apostles. We move to the church fathers, like guys like Augustine and Athanasius. We head for, fast forward to reformers, Luther and Calvin. Um, and even in the last century, it seems like this idea of celebrity pastors or the number of people you have in your church, book sales, or your block spot, how many views you get, are all measurements of Christian success. But I want to offer a different point of view to you guys. A different, different measurement of greatness as it pertains to the Christian life. And I would dare say that this view is God's perspective on greatness. And the way I learned it, I learned it, I learned it through the course of my life, but I had a very acute moment of education on greatness as a Christian when I was a student at Dallas Theological Seminary. If you have your Bibles out, I want you to turn to John, the Gospel, chapter 13. This is setting the tone for my education in Christian greatness. Now, the Feast of the Passover, this is Jesus' last Passover on earth. This is, this is the night, the night. And he's having this, um, my, mom, uh, my wife asked the kids, about the Last Supper. She said, do you know what supper that was? They said, his last one. She's like, no, it was the Passover. But yeah, it was his last one on earth. But he had, at this moment, this is the most important message that Jesus is wanting to leave with his disciples. His last words, in a sense, for them before he goes to the cross. And not too long before, even in the course of the meal, They've gone through and had this argument. And this isn't the first time they've had this argument of who's the greatest in heaven. They've had it multiple times. And I'm sure Jesus probably plucked them all over the head multiple times. I've told you already. But sure enough, Jesus last night, they have this argument again about who's the greatest in heaven. And finally, instead of just teaching them, Jesus is finally going to show them what he meant by greatness in the way God views it. So in John chapter 13, the feast of the Passover, we'll begin, we'll begin in uh, verse 2. I want you to see what's happening here. During the supper, 
you know what? This is the great thing about uh, um, technology. I'm going to switch over to ESV. <laughs> I can do that right here. Um, verse 2. During the supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Now, I want you to imagine this scene and who this is. This isn't just a great prophet. This isn't just a, a good teacher. This is the creator of the universe. And he is clothing himself as a servant for his disciples. Verse 5. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? You know what? I love Peter not because he was necessarily great among the disciples. He said the thing that everybody was thinking that they weren't brave enough to say. You know everybody was thinking the same thing, but they didn't want to say nothing. So Peter still chimed up. You going to wash my feet? They kind of have an idea of who Jesus is, and him doing this didn't make any sense. If you're the Messiah, Jesus, why are you wash? We should wash your feet. What are you doing? But Jesus said to him in verse 7, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And you know, Peter, <laughs> he says, well then, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head also. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. So you got to understand that in the middle of this washing, Jesus knew the one who would betray him. And he didn't exempt this person from getting his feet washed. He also washed the feet of the one who was sending him to his death. We got to understand that Jesus wasn't just... God. He was God in flesh. He was also humanity. And you knew that it hurt him to know that one of his best friends betrayed him. How many of you ever been betrayed? It hurts. It hurts. Imagine knowing who was going to betray you, when they were going to betray you, how they were going to betray you, what that betrayal was going to look like, how that betrayal was going to end, and still love them the way Jesus loved Judas. Verse 11 for he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, here's the kicker. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. I went to DTS. I started in 2007. 
And I gave so many excuses not to go. Didn't want to go, really. But I knew God was calling me there. I pulled a Gideon. I pulled a couple excuses of why I couldn't go. Lord, Lord, I can't go. I'm not accepted. Two weeks before they were closing their acceptance time, I filled out an application. So I figured, well, so close to closing, I'll fill out the application, say I tried, keep on moving. Now, my grades at this time weren't the best. I went to, I went to, I kind of did the Moses curriculum at my school, at my undergrad. Took me a little longer than most. But I went through and I got it done. But if you looked at all of my grades, they didn't really stand out. I did much better my second time around, but it didn't really make it stand out. I did so bad the first time. <laughs> and surely, they, they, DT, the, the, if you know DTS, it's a very prestigious seminary. You got guys like Tony Evans, Chuck Swindoll, um, J. Vernon McGee. I'm taking you way back now. A lot of, a lot of well-known folks had graduated from this school, and so surely they wouldn't take me. They accepted me in a week. Me. So then I said, well, Lord, you know, we don't have a place to stay. Well, my wife said, as soon as we get married and we have children, she wants to stay at home. We got to have family housing. We called. We're, they said that we we're 42nd on the wait list. We tried. Well, the seminary calls and says, what day can you move in? And we said the day, and the day that they had something open was, was the same day. And they said, well, guess what? The 41 couples ahead of you cannot move in on this day. <laughs> Lord, wait, wait, I need a job. Yeah, 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 I need a job. Lord, if I can't work, I can't go to school. My wife wants to stay home. I made this promise that when we got married, we started having children. She was pregnant with our, with our first son. She would, she would stay home. And I need to work. Now, how is this going to work? I'm going to be a full-time student and work full-time? Oh, God, it has to be the perfect job. It has to be something on campus. It, it just, it's not going to happen, Lord. I'm sorry. We tried. So I went out and applied for kind of the general application for working on campus. And sure enough, God gave me a job. It, it wasn't, I wasn't expecting anything. I actually thought I wasn't going to get a job, and it'd be my excuse not to go. Um, but I was working grounds crew. And I worked there for a year in the grounds crew. And if you're familiar with Dallas, Texas, working grounds crew at Dallas in the summer, yikes. <laughs> but unfortunately, after a year of that, they outsourced the grounds crew. And now I didn't know what to do. I'm here at school now. I need a full-time job on campus. And I didn't know what to do. Well, the physical plant had another position open. It was for a custodian. And so I took that position because I just needed anything. And being a custodian uh, is not the most glamorous job, especially on a school campus, because students are nasty. I'm going to just be honest. It, college kids, you think when people get older, they get cleaner? No, they're nasty, though. Uh, toilets, all this. Y'all are nasty, man. When <laughs> and I saw the proof of that every day. But one of my jobs every day, every morning almost, was to clean this statue, this bronze statue that we have on DTS's campus. And the statue was of Jesus washing Peter's feet. And every day when you see the statue, 
it's full of bird poop all the time. And it's annoying and it's hot and you have to wash it and you have to use a special chemical. And then after you're done cleaning it, you have to go to class because I didn't have time to change clothes. So I smell like this chemical, probably a little bit of bird poop mixed in the smell. And I'm sitting in Greek class in my uniform smelling like chemical and bird poop every day. And on top of that, just to get a little more serious, I'm a black man at a predominantly white seminary. And the perception of me was already not positive. I've had students that I wanted to start study groups with completely ignore me because they didn't want to be in my group. They didn't think I was intellectually prepared for it or capable for it. I had a couple of profs tell me I should leave because they didn't think I would be able to handle the, the uh, intellectual rigors of DTS. And so the, my perception of this is already shaken. The way people viewed me was already not what I would have liked. And on top of that, now I'm a custodian. And I could feel every morning the stairs, sometimes the, 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 the little laughing underneath their breath, the contempt. I could even sense the, that in their minds they're saying, this is exactly where you should be. Every morning in the open, Washing this statue in front of everyone. And I was mad. I was, why am I doing this, Lord? I was an electrical engineer. I, I wanted to do other things. I played professional baseball. Why am I now washing a bronze statue with bird poop all over it and everyone seeing me? I deserve better. That's what I thought. That was my pride talking. But I had to learn a lesson. The Lord wanted to teach me something by sitting there watching that statue every single day in front of everyone. And I'll tell you about it later. I'll finish that story later. But when we talk about greatness, the way God views it, it's a little different. And when we think about what Jesus did for his disciples, we're like, how can that be great? How should leaders sit there and how we, that's not the kind of leadership conference I want to go to. That's not what I want to learn. I want to learn how to give orders. I want to learn how to look at margins and, and ledgers and, and um, um, books and know how to make decisions on budgeting and all. I don't, I don't want to wash feet. It's not what it means to be a leader. And as you heard from Jordan not too long ago, there are times when we should stand. There are times when we should be strong. You heard that example about Dr. Martin Luther King not too long ago. When are those times then that we should stand, that we shouldn't stoop? To wash. When are those times when, when we should uh, say what needs to be said at the appropriate time? I'm glad you asked that. One of those times that we should stand are the times when we should contend for our faith. 
You know, it's interesting. We are willing to have arguments about everything but our faith, aren't we? Vikings are the best team in the NFL. I guarantee you there's some Packer fans out there that would beg to differ. <laughs> Look at the head nodding. Yep. We, we, can, we, can, we can go toe-to-toe about our favorite teams, right? We can go on social media and bang out some arguments against some folks. But, man, when it comes to Jesus, we get a little sheepish, don't we? Well, I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I don't want to stand out. It's, it's a little weird to be standing up for Jesus. But that's the very thing that the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to contend for the faith to the point that he says, when you fight, you're going to need armor, Jack. Suit up. One part of that faith that we're going to need to contend for is the doctrine itself. There are a ton of false gospels out there. There are a ton of feel-good, make-you-happy, cotton-candy Christianities that people love to hear, but they're not true. And where are the people going to get the truth of that if we do not stand up for it? Oh, I know we can lose our job. I know people can ridicule us. We are not yet to the point that we have to contend to the point of death. Like many of our brothers and sisters around the world, we just heard a testimony of a young lady named Aisha. Uh, She was a former Muslim. And for her to, to move from Allah to Jesus meant death if her family got a hold of her. She couldn't even go and visit her father the day that he would die, he would die because her life would be in danger. That's what it costs for her to say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But guess what she did today? Publicly pronounced the gospel of Jesus Christ to a bunch of strangers. Who knew who could have been in that audience? Who knew who could have, could have set something up? And yet she was there publicly pronouncing her faith. Nasser Al-Qahtani, another guy who was, a, he, called, he called himself a radical Muslim. He's one of those guys, you walk down the street, you're like, ooh, all right. <laughs> and today, shared one of the most convicting gospel messages I've ever heard. knowing it could be his last one. As a matter of fact, he told a story about one time he thought he was going to die because he had to go on this trip and the Lord revealed to him that on this trip he would die. And he thought it meant literally. And he had this last conversation, he talked about this last conversation he thought he was going to have with his wife before a buddy of his told him that we're going to go to this neighborhood where one of the guys who attacked, and they're in, they're in France, one of the guys who attacked that, um, the people that drew that cartoon, they're from that neighborhood. And so he's like, this is where I'm going to die. And he was going, thinking this was his last day on earth. But he was contending for the faith. And I must admit, 
I'm a weak Christian, guys. I let too many things, too many things wimp me out when I know the Lord wanted me to stand up for the gospel. The other part of that is our own personal faith. Not just gospel truth, but also our faith itself. Paul had written to Timothy. He was going to his death. And he told Timothy some of his last words. I fought the good fight. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. See, we're not supposed to win. We're not, we're not meant to fight to the point of knocking the devil out or building the kingdom of God with our own hands. We're just meant to keep the faith. Our job as Christians, personally, is to leave this world with our faith intact, period. Not stained by the world, not ripped up by hard times and tribulations, but firm. The other times we are to stand, we are to see evil for what it is, and we are to note it, and we are to do something about it. Don't let anybody tell you differently. If there is evil in the world, the church should be there to do something about it. As a matter of fact, the evil can be in the church itself, can't it? Paul talked about divisions in the church in Corinth. James wrote about favoritism. I think that's one of the most evil things in the church is favoritism. When we treat someone else better than another person, because this other person may have an advantage or a benefit that I may get to uh, draw from. That is dirty in the eyes of God. It's an abomination. God is not a respecter of persons. We shouldn't be. Every single human being is made in the image of God and deserves that level of respect just because of that reason. People have set up teachers that tickle their ears, right? They don't want to hear, they don't want to hear that hell is real. They don't want to hear that if they reject God, that they're destined for a different eternal destination than those who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. They don't want to hear that. Doesn't matter what they want to hear. That doesn't make it untrue just because they don't believe it. How many of us know brothers and sisters in Christ or real brothers and sisters who have fallen away from the faith and we've had to bring them back? We got to be on guard ourselves. The evil one could be sitting in these pews right now, guys. That's a three-pronged enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they are very active. Very active. And if we go into this battle without God, we are outnumbered. But if we go in this battle with God, guess what? We outnumber them four to one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and us. And of course, there's evil in the world. There's natural evil. There's moral evil. You just have to wake up and just turn on the news. Look at Apple News. My goodness. 
I can't even look at the news anymore. But see, for God, greatness also means that there are times when we must stoop. Times when we must lay aside our pride and do the right thing. And this is the part that's hard. If you go in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, this is the fun part of the scripture. Verse 39. And so many folks have tried to uh, water down what this passage of scripture is saying because it's a hard one to take. This is one of those medicine scriptures. This is one of those that you wish you didn't have to hear, but we need to hear it. Because if we want to rightly represent Christ, if we want to be great in heaven, this is part of the training. Matthew chapter 5, we're starting verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. What? Verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Even that cat that still owe me 30 bucks. You have heard that it was said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. See, Christ didn't die for us when we were worth dying for. Romans 5 says, while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Verse 48, therefore you are to be perfect, mature, complete, as your heavenly father is perfect. Wait a minute. I don't like that too much. If somebody sues me for my shirt, give them my coat too. What? Verse 39, if someone slaps me on my cheek, give me up. No, Jack, I'm throwing them things on him. No. I'm from the hood, guys. Wait, wait. <laughs> you got one shot. After that, we go to town. But here God is saying, do not retaliate. Do not seek revenge. See, the Christian's dignity is not wrapped up in our reputation in the world. What we need to understand as children of God is that we are citizens of another country. 
We are not just citizens of America. We are citizens of heaven. And heaven, the king of heaven, is also the king of this earth. And heaven is the higher sovereign. So the law of heaven usurps the laws on earth. And so thus, being citizens of heaven, our job is to live by that law, not this one. Now, as much as this law on earth lines up with that law, hey, that's great. But the moment this law on earth clashes with that law in heaven, you have to choose. Am I going to go after my own personal rights? Because that's what we have in America, right? I'm an American citizen. Individualism, baby. Or are you going to give up these earthly rights to represent Christ accurately? So when someone slaps you, if you want to represent Christ, you don't retaliate. Now, it doesn't say you can't protect your family. I'm not going to get crazy. Somebody breaking my house, oh, oh for sure. You, go, you, you ain't getting to my kids and my wife. The cops going to have to pull me off you. But as far as it pertains to my personal dignity and my self-respect, my self-respect is not contained on this earth. My identity is in Christ, not in some reputation here on this temporary planet. Legal matters, we should forego our personal legal rights for another. We should not look for justice in this world. Why are we looking for justice in this world? This world is broken. This world is fallen. Why should a Christian be disappointed that things don't work out in this world? We have the truth. We know why it doesn't work out. And yeah, things are going to be unfair. It was totally unfair for Jesus to have to leave his heavenly abode, his throne, come down here in the flesh suit, live a perfect life, and have to die for us. That's unfair. But he did it anyway. And he says, as I've done for you, do for one another. Someone asked me, back um, in those days, since they were under Roman order, a Roman soldier could tell any person to carry their armor. Here, take my armor, I'm tired. They could, they could uh, confiscate their horse or their ox or whatever for food or for work or for whatever. They, if you're a Roman soldier, you can take whatever you need from any citizen. Do not seek personal special treatment. Verse 41, what they're talking about is, do not seek personal special treatment from the social hierarchy of this world. One of the things that I've dealt with in my life growing up is I grew up in the projects. I was a pretty smart kid. I was in AG classes. I was a pretty good athlete. And I think if I were white, I probably would have been a Rhodes Scholar. But because of what I was attaining in school and things like that, the kids in my neighborhood made fun of me. They said, you trying to be white, man? What's wrong with you? Doing good in school. I'm like, dude, I ain't trying to be, I'm trying to get out of here. But see, the problem was in school, 
I couldn't hang out with my white friends from class because their parents didn't want me at their house. So I was in this limbo growing up. My friends here made fun of me in the hood because I'm trying to better myself. But yet I couldn't hang out with my friends here of a different race because for some reason their parents thought I was dirty. Maybe it was my dark skin. I don't know. Maybe they thought I would leave a smear on the wall or something. I don't know. And I was in this limbo for much of my life by myself, trying to do my thing, struggling, because I didn't fit anyone's mold. People don't know what to do with me because I'm a black evangelical. I am, I am the oxymoron of America. <laughs> you black, you conservative? I don't mean politically conservative, biblically conservative. There's a difference. And that's how we should be different. We shouldn't judge someone by their political affiliation. You Democrat? Dude, how can you be Democrat? What, in a Christian? You can't have the two, it doesn't work out. How can you? And all of a sudden, somebody lists something about that. That's why I hate labels. Because we turn these labels into caricatures and we think we know someone because they threw a label at us. Shame on us, especially Christians. Shame on us that we don't take the time to get to know the person that sits beside us. Do not let this earth's social hierarchy dictate how you behave to one another. Someone asked you to carry their armor one mile, Take it too. One thing I'm teaching my children is when you go out, you give someone the best experience they can have with a black person so that their presuppositions they've had about black people changes. They're not who I thought they were. That's how I've had to live my life. When someone wants to borrow money, don't keep it from them. Don't seek to keep the temporary treasures of this world. It's not ours. We didn't bring it into this world. and We're definitely not going to take it out. Where should we store our treasures? In heaven. Anything we have right now can be taken. Except for our eternal life. No one can have that. No one can have that. So, I'm sitting here clean as this Jesus, we, call, we all call it the Jesus statue. <laughs> every day of the week, every week of the month, every month. Hating it. Until one day, it was, it was around winter time, I woke up to the statue and I look at it for the first time for what it is. It's Jesus. Washing his disciples' feet. I get it now, God. I get what you're trying to teach me. And I'm sorry it took me so long to learn what you were teaching me. Greatness in heaven 
is every man's servant on earth. The one that humbles himself, God will exalt. I get it now, Lord. And through being a custodian at DTS, I began to develop this wisdom of when was it times to stand up and when was it times to stoop? I started to be able to decipher properly the difference between the times when I should do one and the other. And through that, five years later, our graduating class of 2012 of DTS voted me our, our class president. I never sought it. I never nominated myself. I don't know how in the world I get that. I, somebody called me and says, you're the graduating class president. I was like, how did that work? <laughs> but you know what it was? I learned later. People say, Frank, your reputation on campus, the way you treated everyone, you would be on your lawnmower and someone would ask you a question, a Greek question, you would stop and answer it. You would be working on a pipe and someone would come by and ask you a Hebrew question, you would stop and answer them. You treated everyone with respect. You loved everyone on campus. And so many people had a good experience with you that they wanted you to be the representative of our class. I didn't write any fancy book. My master's thesis wasn't any special, anything special than anyone else's. I just learned that I wanted to be as much like my savior as possible. Don't seek to exalt yourself. God will raise you up at the right time. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father, your economy is upside down of this natural world. To live, we must die. To gain, we must give. To win, we must lose. To be great, we must be every man's servant. But see, it's because we're citizens of another country. It's because our identity, our reputation, our security is not wrapped up in this temporary broken world. We have a treasure that cannot be stolen. We have an identity that is eternal in the book of life that your son himself has put in there. And no one can take it away. We have eternal security, Lord. What must we fear? Even if someone can take our lives, we still win. Thank you, Lord, that by being humble, you are great. Thank you for that example. May we follow it. As Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. If we're not faithfully following you, Lord, show us where we fall short. And may we repent and may we bring it to you and allow you to change us, Lord. Help us to not be afraid to be changed by you. And Father, for those of us who have not accepted you as our Savior, who think for some strange reason that we can do this thing on our own, this thing called life, 
with all that's out there and all that is in our evil hearts, Lord, I pray that their eyes are open to the truth that none shall come to the Father except through you, that there is no name under heaven by which men can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. And may we be bold professors, bold confessors of that, Lord. Let us not be sheepish when it comes to our faith. Let us not be sheepish when it comes to our Savior, Lord. You have done a great thing for us. You shamed yourself for us, Lord. May we not be ashamed of you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a project of the Capital City Church in the West 7th community of St. Paul, Minnesota. Find us on Instagram at Capital City Church STP or visit our website for more information at capitalcitystpaul.com.